Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. Hello, you're listening to One Broken Mom. This is a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement, and I'm the host, Ami Perconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. I feel like I need to say that every time. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics I cover are serious, but you can count on that I try to make them entertaining as well as informative and sometimes even inspirational. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. I'm not a therapist. We're all just here giving away what I think is useful knowledge. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Did you know that the key to ending self-sabotage is to stop doing it? Yeah, I know that that's not the most profound thing I've ever said or written, but it is probably one of the truest. Because as straightforward and as simple as it sounds, the truth is if you want a different life, I mean a better life, you have to stop everything that you're doing before you can get to that point. And the end of a relationship is one of life's ways of giving you a moment to pause before moving on so that you don't repeat the sins of your past. Easier said than done, huh? That's because typically at the end of personal relationships, we tend to try to pick up the pieces and move on to the next one as quickly as possible, especially if we're carrying in ourselves this feeble definition of love. And subsequently, when we're hastening the tendency to sabotage ourselves again, if we haven't really taken the time to adequately reflect on what really went wrong in that relationship, but if the only thing you've mastered in relationships is how to swiftly move on from the one to the next one, especially if you're like me and you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s, then you also have to take the time to admit that your definition of love and relationships is probably what's broke. So coming back to my first sentence, to stop your self-sabotage, you have to take the time and effort to really begin to understand and overcome your self-destructive behaviors first and just stop doing them. I'm going to tell you, please don't think that I'm doing some self-righteous preaching here because again, I know full well that it is easier said than done. Yes, even with my own awareness of this concept and my own work to heal, I admit that I still kept my fingernails dug into something that was dead and decaying until only recently. So, what was it that was keeping me a ghost, haunting a relationship that was also dead? It was, I love you. Three words that form a holy, sacred trinity in their own right. A sentence that by its simple structure completes one of the most powerful ideas that there is on this planet. A phrase that can inspire and embolden. A phrase that is so potent that people are willing to die to protect and uphold it. But, as history has proven, power is corruptible and it can be misused even unintentionally. And so it was in our individual way to control what was happening to my ex and myself. These coercive words had been passed back and forth over the last several months since the breakup, in text messages, phone calls, and even in person. I love you had been used interchangeably in its present tense and past tense. Sometimes it was passionate, as in, I fucking loved you. And sometimes it was sweet and sentimental. It was volleyed back and forth from I love you to so do I during periods when we were both feeling particularly vulnerable, because in the end, we'd grown dependent on each other to always be there when we needed them. 
And sometimes those words were sent out like a lone, desperate arrow into the sky with an immeasurable, sad and anxious silence following. It's obvious we'd both been struggling to understand what it means, what the words mean, what, what, what we really meant when we said it to each other post-relationship. And they were keeping us both from moving on. Defining love and its purpose has been a task taken up by scientists as well as poets. In its clinical definition, its feelings in the brain aroused purely by self-preservation and may be seen in some way exhibited by all animals on this planet. And in its lyrical form, it's pleasurable yet elusive, illogical, and sometimes painful. But unconditional love, the primal love parents bestow onto their children, caring for them, nurturing them without any expectation that something should be given in return, is the bedrock for which all of our personal variations of love should be built upon. And that is because unconditional love should be, for most of us, our first love and the only love we know. We learn it from the earliest moments of our existence and throughout our childhood. Receiving it is vital because it teaches us security in all forms. But if our mothers or caregivers did not receive unconditional love and emotional support themselves, they, in turn, don't know how to give it. And we didn't get it as a result. So, in some families it is, especially when dealing with a narcissistic parent, when a child has to put their parents' needs first, they learn that love is something to be earned, that it's a transaction. And instead of being the recipient of your parents' unconditional love, you become a giver. And if you don't continue to give, you learn that love is fickle and could abandon you at any time. This is, in fact, the opposite of unconditional love. And this unstable foundation will unconsciously guide all of your relationships with your family, your children, as well as your choice of romantic partners. Because some givers grow up and remain givers, while others grow into takers, demanding their due after having been denied it for so long. To both, however, love will always be anxious and approval-seeking. It will be affirmations. For a giver, it will be expecting less hugging, holding, and attending by your partner to your own needs, and instead replaced with acknowledgement of a job well done. Further, you'll also hold the view that all love is scarce and stingy and only to be given when something is needed in return. Sadly, this will likely be how you will share love with your own children. But the biggest casualty, whether you are a giver or a taker, is not that you don't know how to properly love other people, but you never learn to love yourself. And that's because unconditional love also teaches you that you are special and important, which in turn boosts your own confidence in your self-worth. Therefore, you end up understanding what it's like to love yourself first before you ever learn how to love another person, or at least that's what you're supposed to learn. If you have a transactional view of love and don't realize it, you won't end up in romantic relationships with people that have healthy views, unfortunately, because if they give you their unconditional love, you may not feel that you're worth it. It will leave you uneasy and unsettled. It'll leave you doubting them and their affection, and you'll be waiting for the shoe to drop and for them to come back to you and expect something in return. Therefore, you're likely to sabotage it or simply leave. This form of love is unfaithful because it cheats you out of happiness and sets you up for involving yourself in enmeshed or codependent relationships with other partners who have their own unresolved childhood issues. You will find yourself with someone who is looking for your affirmation of their self-worth, someone who needs you to show them how important and special they are. And if you're lucky, they will every once in a while give you the I love you that you're desperate to hear. Ross Rosenberg, a psychotherapist who specializes in relationships, 
shared these signs of an unhealthy enmeshed relationship. And the link to this article is in my podcast notes. His list includes, you neglect other relationships because of a preoccupation or compulsion to be in the relationship. Your happiness or contentment relies on your relationship. Your self-esteem is contingent upon this relationship. When there's conflict or disagreement in your relationship, you feel extreme anxiety or fear or compulsion to fix the problem. When you're not around this person or can't talk to them, a feeling of loneliness pervades your psyche. Without that connection, the loneliness will increase to the point of creating irrational desires to reconnect. There's a symbiotic emotional connection. If they're angry or anxious or depressed, you're also angry or anxious or depressed. You absorb those feelings and are drawn to remediate them. Enmeshment isn't only for lovers and spouses. In fact, your first relationship in life is with your parents or caregivers. And so if your romantic relationships are consistently codependent or enmeshed, it's because you had a similar familiar relationship growing up. And those types of relationships are doomed to fail if neither partner is able or willing to change. In her article, Six Signs of a Codependent Relationship, licensed therapist Linda Esposito points out that the resentment becomes a dominating force in a codependent relationship for the person who is the giver. Quote, resentment builds when you don't recognize your own needs and want. A common behavioral tendency is to overreact or lash out when your partner lets you down. Lacking an internal locus of control means searching for external sources of validation and control. You might try to control your partner's behavior so you can feel okay, You might act self-righteous and bossy and make unreasonable demands on your partner. And when you realize you can't control his or her moods or actions, you become disappointed and may slide into a depressed state. In this relationship, folks, the words I love you are not intended to arouse a warm feeling of safety and peace for another person. Instead, they are the taker's weapon used to incite guilt as in, you wouldn't do that if you loved me. Or it's the giver's bid for approval and acknowledgement. Don't you love me? Or, as Rosenberg points out, saying, I love you, is a way to satisfy that irrational desire to reconnect. And so, Catholics believe that some souls are not sufficiently free from the physical effects of sin and its consequences to enter the state of heaven immediately, requiring some residence in purgatory. And for us, in our mortal state, purgatory becomes that place in your mind where you cleanse yourself of those unintended violations you've committed against your well-being before you can ascend to the heavenly blessings that unconditional love will bring. But what is this earthly form of limbo? How do we cleanse ourselves of errors and love that we may not even know we had at all? Well, Esposito starts with the fact that we all have to travel back in time and address our childhood issues and link them up with our current emotional patterns so that we can undo them. And due to the complexity and the painful confrontation with unresolved feelings of anger, hurt, loss, and sadness, this is going to most likely require psychotherapy and time, an unsettling, unknown amount of time. After the breakup, like many of us, I actually did try to move on romantically. Within a month after we'd separated, I signed up on online dating sites because I had that familiar and anxious feeling that I needed to be loved and I wanted them to just go away. And so that addict's call for the dopamine and serotonin rush that comes in from the early days of attraction urged me on. But inside of me, that change was already starting to happen. And shortly after that, I realized I didn't want to spend the time to filter through emails, go on dates, or any of that obligatory work that's involved. I wanted to spend time with myself and with my kids. There was one guy, though, that I met, and I will admit this, that I stayed in touch with. A man who was one year and several miles down this road of purgatory, taking on like his own self-reflection and repair. And he became somewhat of a guide, a spirit guide, I guess, and support for me. He was able to let me know that it was going to be okay. 
and that the fear of being in this foggy space would go away and the skies would indeed clear as my inner peace began to settle in. And he was right. For many months, however, I had one foot pressed onto the bones of the old relationship and one foot on this road of perdition. But straddling these two countries by yielding to the power of I love you was keeping me trapped and unable to really move in either direction. So I finally had to accept the truth that I was afraid to do, to let go once and for all. Because the familiar pain of holding on felt better than the fear of not knowing how long I'd have to work before I ever loved myself completely. Thankfully, with the support of friends, as well as the efforts I was putting into therapy, I learned to set new personal boundaries and to listen to the divine part of myself that said I was worth every minute, day, month, or year it was going to take to try. And so it was that I finally picked up my foot and stepped fully onto a private pathway that will lead me once and for all to my place, which is heaven on earth. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at aneequiracone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Amit Perconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.